program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. Looks like Deep Fried Jack's off the menu for tonight. Instead, you get a postmortem host and another review of a schlockfest that receives more love than it probably ever expected to. And it doesn't star David Harbour and get overhyped, leading to disappointment later. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, trust me, it sure ain't fucking frosty on this week's episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Bound to piss people off this week, but hey, it's all good. Um, Yeah, last week was elves. This week, Killer Snowmen. Yeah, episode 136. Welcome back, everyone. We are reviewing from 1997, another straight-to-video release. Did that last week, doing it this week. From writer-director Michael Cooney. (laughs) Okay, yeah. No sense in burying the lead anymore. Jack Frost, kids. Yeah, I'm doing Jack Frost this week. Aren't you so happy? Um, alright. So I have to suck up my pride a little bit. I have to clarify something from last week, because I confused myself... On this episode, on last week's episode, sorry, which I know is not hard to do, and I almost confused myself just now. But, <laughs> anyways, last week when I was talking about Elves, the release date, all of a sudden I realized I had two different dates written and I sort of confused myself. Okay, so apparently the movie Elves was released in 1989 through AIP Pictures on VHS. Now, supposedly there was a limited theatrical premiere, but it's never really been clear when that took place. And that was posted on Wikipedia, and it has not actually been confirmed. So, take it with a grain of salt, the VHS did come out in 89. I was right about that, and like I said, I was pretty sure I had rented it in early 90s when I saw it at Top Gun Video. Well, I'm, apparently I... Maybe the memory wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Remember last week? I'm like, mm, old age. Yeah, no. I might actually be right. Um, yeah, because the, the theatrical premiere thing is very fuzzy. There's 
supposedly it happened, but it was a straight-to-video release. So, much like this week's review for Jack Frost. But, before we go building a snowman made of a murderer and some experimental genetic liquid acid compound, I'm thinking let's talk some nutcrackers and another killer Santa Claus. Are you cool with this? Okay. So, we have... Nutcracker Massacre, and you're like, oh my god, he seriously dug down this deep. Yes, I did. Um, because it's on Tubi, it's free to stream, and I I saw the poster. The poster's nice and colorful, and it's cute, and it's got like this wicked-looking, ugly Nutcracker, and all this stuff. And then I saw the trailer, and I was like, it looks bad, but why not? Let's give it a try, because you see, sometimes when you see a movie like Nutcracker Massacre, has its release through Tubi, you have to know what you're getting, okay? I got a bit excited, too, because when the opening credits start, I see Mark L. Lester's name in there. That name sound familiar to you? He's he was the producer for this film. Um, he was responsible for those classic 80s flicks like Commando, Firestarter. I talked about Firestarter on this show. Um, Class of 1984, that's an epic classic. But here's the thing, free to stream on Tubi, movie called Nutcracker Massacre, yeah, I still kept my expectations low, and it's a good thing I did. Now, the movie's not great, but the movie does a few things right, despite being not so good. Um, and the thing is, it's like, okay, like, for example, the Nutcracker itself, the the... It's, what, a six-foot-tall Nutcracker? Kind of weird, but okay, whatever. Anyways... It's doing all the killing in this movie. Um, it does look creepy. Kudos to the art department for their, you know, their concepts, their execution and everything. Actually, it is creepy. Um, it has me wondering why so many people kept approaching it when it had its ugly face on. Because, like, it has, like, two looks. When it's just standing there being a decoration, it looks like a typical nutcracker. But when it's killing, it gets like these like fangs and it's got like evil looking eyes and stuff. And I'm laughing because everyone in this movie, when this nutcracker looks like it's ready to go psycho ape shit, they want to get closer to, oh, let me get a closer look. What are you fucking stupid? Get the hell out of the house. <laughs> what the hell? Um. So, yeah, it, it's... <laughs> The problem with this movie is writing. I'll get to that in a minute. But in terms of the Nutcracker itself, it it is oddly good. It, it's creepy. Um, like I said, kudos to the art department. Uh, the music. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I'm watching this movie last night, and there's like this ambient music that plays through a lot of the film. And for some reason, I kept thinking Cyberpunk 2077. It had very much that feel to it, but it's in a holiday horror flick. Actually, though, it did help to set the tone for the film, and it fits quite well, oddly enough. Like, I mean, it's not beat for beat like Cyberpunk 2077 score, because if, you've, if you're familiar with that, you know, it that's very electronic and whatnot, which this has an electronic feel, but at the same time, this is more just the ambient stuff that's the very low-key, sort of like... um. For those of you who know the score from Cyberpunk 2077, the Laguna, the, the, the Laguna Bend music that you heard um, 
when B is underwater with Judy and stuff like that. It's sort of like that kind of music playing throughout this movie. And it works well. I, I, I have to admit that. Some of the actors in this, okay, so, and again, like I said, I'll, I'll just, I'll talk about the writing in a second, but with what they were given, there's a few actors that actually are not horrible in this thing. <laughs> Patrick Bergen, for one, which if you're familiar with that name, you might know him from Patriot Games, which was a really big movie he was in. Uh, Highway to Hell is one of my favorites that he was in. Uh, he's all right in this movie. The problem with Patrick Bergen was he's underused. He was relegated to a smaller role as the toy maker or like the nutcracker maker or whatever you want to call him. They don't really give him a name. And he's just sort of the one that's working at the store that our lead female buys this sugar plum fairy doll that's supposed to go with a nutcracker. And that lead female is played by Beatrice Fletcher. And the thing with her is you can actually tell she was trying her best in this film. She really was. Unfortunately, it's poor writing that hurts her character. Like, I mean, I don't want to go into all full details here. But anyways, she supposedly has broken up with her boyfriend because her boyfriend cheated on her with one of her best friends. And later on in the film, her cousin who hates her tries to make it look like he's trying to sleep with her now and she's stupid enough to almost believe it. And it's like, you're smarter than this. You know your cousin hates your guts. She's going to do whatever she can to make your life miserable. And you didn't figure this out when you walked in the room, saw her trying to molest your boyfriend. Like, it's that kind of writing that was like, this this woman is trying her hardest to play this role as straight as she can. And then we have this bad writing that makes her look like she's a dumb blonde when she's not. She's actually quite intelligent. She's the one that's figuring out all the pieces to the puzzle in this movie. Uh, and then there's Mae Kelly, who she'll also be in the new Winnie the Pooh horror flick uh, coming next February. But she plays the annoying cousin. She's almost trying too hard to be the bitch of the movie. But again, I think that's also the writing, which affects her character as well, because the writing is definitely the sore spot for this film. The kills are creative. I'll give them that. A little bit dialed back, though, um, except for one that is hilarious. And all I will say is think Nutcracker. Think about it. Just think about it. I'm not going to say anything more. Just think about it. That's a kill. Uh <laughs> Aside from the three actors that I mentioned, everyone else in this movie is either boring or forgettable. That's a shame because those three characters are actually pretty decent. I mean, okay, I guess the boyfriend who cheated on on our lead female and whatnot. I mean, yeah, but he's got a man bun. <laughs> I don't know if you know me very well, but I see man buns, I think douchebag. So... I don't know, and if you are listening to this and you have a man bun, a man bun, and you're like, "Wow, that that's pretty rough." Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just how I. It's what media, it, it, what movies and media have portrayed these people. Anyways, I'm moving on. Yes, I get it. Okay, let's sum this up. This I wasn't expecting this movie to be the cat's pajamas of. Yuletide horror, okay? If anything, this definitely has that sit around with a few friends and get ready to rip tracks the shit out of this movie kind of vibe. Would I watch it again? Probably not. But for the once over, well, it had some moments. Um, I wanted to talk about it because I think, it, like I said, free. 
It's free. It's on Tubi, okay? Go watch it. Go stream it. You'll enjoy it. Or you won't. <laughs> or you'll laugh. Or you won't. I don't know. It's a 4.5 out of 10 for me. Personally, I'll probably never talk about this movie again. So this is the last time you've heard about it. Then there's another movie. We're going to talk about one that this is where I might make some enemies this week. Because, and I was hyped just like everybody else. I couldn't wait to see this movie. There are two others that I still have my eyes focused on. But the first one came out of the three. Violent Night from 2022 starring David Harbour. And well, not bad. But not great either. Uh... Kind of like Nutcracker Massacre. Worth the once over. I'm probably never going to go back to this movie again. That's sad for me to say that because I was kind of hoping this would subvert my expectations. Which actually, when I went into this movie, I didn't. I tried to really keep my expectations low. I really did. I didn't want to go into this movie feeling I wanted it to go one way or another because I find when we do that when we as an audience go in and we expect something and then we don't get it we're disappointed so I tried to keep very open mind with this movie the thing is I'm not sure the movie knows itself if it wants to be a Hallmark movie with action or a PG-13 exploitation movie with too much talky family drama and I want you to think about that for a minute PG-13 exploitation movie it's kind of hard to have both, if you get what I'm saying. Exploitation flicks are usually like, you know, gratuitous and super violent and are almost always rated R, if not, you know, <laughs> NC-17 or X-rated or they have to go not rated because, you know, they just had to avoid the MPAA altogether. A PG-13 exploitation movie just sort of doesn't work, you know, if you get what I'm saying. So... When I went into this movie and then I'm watching it unfold and I'm like, I don't know what this movie's trying to do. It's still worth checking out, I guess, if you like Die Hard with a sidekick, a kid's sidekick at that, that is unjustly getting compared to Home Alone because we are always hooked on this movie, Home Alone. But okay, I guess, yes, in a way it's Die Hard meets Home Alone. You know me personally, I'd say it's Die Hard meets Deadly Games, but enough is enough with that. The thing is, is that maybe I've just seen way too many, you know, Christmas B-movies, maybe. I don't know, because this one borrows a lot from other movies. But still, it's okay, I guess. See, the thing is, is that I walked away from this movie feeling underwhelmed. And I'm trying to make myself believe that it was better than it was, I think. I don't know. David Harbour is basically playing Hopper in a Santa suit, which is, I called that. I said that's what it looked like. I was really hoping he might have done something else, but he really kind of, maybe he took a little bit of that Hellboy that he had as well. But, I mean, it works, kind of. But I think... David Harbour, like, and I know he's a talented actor. I, I'm not I'm not an idiot, but I just find that they keep casting him into the same kind of role. You know? I mean, each to their own, I guess. But this movie, for me, was way too talky prior to the third act, which the third act is, it's, it's something else. But too talky, I didn't care for any of the characters in this this whole thing like John Leguizamo's in this thing and I love him 
I think he's an awesome actor. And he, but he was underwhelming in this. He didn't convince me of his villainous ways. I didn't sit there and go, well, that, that, that's a, you know, a villain I wouldn't want to screw with or something. No, he just seemed like he was just hitting his beats, reading his lines. And that was the end of it. Everyone else in the movie is annoying. Beverly D'Angelo, who I absolutely love is Ellen Griswold. <laughs> yes. Christmas vacation is not a horror movie. And I love it probably more than most horror movies that I love that. That's how much I love Christmas vacation. Okay. She, I have always loved this woman and I'm watching her in this movie going, I, I don't care for this. I really didn't. But then, okay. So at the same time you say, well, you're watching violent night. It's a movie about a Santa Claus that goes, you know, goes super violent. It's like, okay, well, I'm not watching this for all the other characters. Anyways, I don't care about the kid. I don't care about the, the stupid, you know, entitled family that they have all this money and they're trying to steal the money from the mom and all this. I, I don't care about all that. Fine. I want to see a Santa go nuts. I want to see him kill some people. Third act, kids. But that's the thing, too. Because this is a movie called Violent Night. And it wasn't really violent until the third act. I mean, there's a few moments here and there and stuff like that. But I don't know. The comedy falls flat in this movie. With the exception of a few moments between Santa and his reindeer. Other than that, the movie's not funny. Um... It borrows from way too many movies, so it really doesn't feel original. I guess you could call it an homage, but at the same time, there's low-budget movies that are out there right now showing that creativity is not too hard to produce, so why couldn't this mainstream flick do the same? You know what I mean? Like, You have a chance right now to make a mark at a time when low-budget films are starting to get attention there people are starting to realize hey if i want originality go low budget you know what i mean this was a chance for a mainstream flick to say hey guess what we can do that too and instead i saw this movie where i'm sitting there going okay that was like santa slay that was right out of silent night deadly night that one there yeah that had christmas evil written all over it like and then the Die Hard and home alone and deadly games references that are just scattered throughout the whole damn movie um, I will note one thing, though. <laughs> the soundtrack for this movie is awesome. Oh, it's so good. I love the music. I even listened to it at work. And yeah, I know someone, uh, some people probably were walking by and heard like Christmas music playing out of, you know, my area, of my, you know, my job. And they're like, is he okay? Yeah, no, this, the score by Dominic Lewis is awesome. Absolutely a highlight of the flick. The whole movie, I even kept saying, I'm like, well, the music is great. I'm loving the music. It's a good thing, because this movie is somewhat disappointing, if you want the honest truth. Considering what it could have been, I will say, see it once, but you're going to be disappointed. And if you're not, then lucky you, because maybe you're just able to enjoy something that I wanted to and I couldn't. This didn't work for me. And, and that's a shame, because I really wanted it to. But I don't know. It felt very flat. And I just didn't get the hype behind it. It's 5 out of 10 for me. And much like Nutcracker Massacre, I'll probably never go back to it again. The thing with Nutcracker Massacre is that that movie knew what it was. It was fucking stupid. It knew it was. 
It's just one of those where you sit there, you watch it for a laugh, and you move on with your life. This, on the other hand, is being hyped and put in theaters, and it's, oh, hey, it's David Harbour, the big name right now. Go see him, check him out, and this and that. And then you go see this movie, and it's like, well, okay. But I do know there's a lot of people that love it, too. So please, take my review with a grain of salt and understand that I might be the idiot here who's missing out on a movie. Probably not, but hey. Opinions are opinions, right? We all have them. It's kind of like assholes. Let's move on to the trailer time out. Yes, let's let's leave the Santa Clauses alone now. Leave the Nutcrackers. It's time to go to Snowmen. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Let's talk <laughs> this fucking movie. Ah, oh, there's history with this movie and me too. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. So we're going to do the trailer timeout, which it's a really cheesy, fun trailer. Uh, and when that's done, we'll come back. We'll talk snowmen. We'll talk uh, TV actors. There's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> we will talk about just some fun stuff. I, Shannon Elizabeth. Debut performance. Hey, before she was Nadia. Um, I just, you know, completely ruined some trivia for you. But hey, trailer, we'll be back. You know how it goes. Back in the splat, kids. One cold night, science and evil collide. Oh, yeah. A serial killer is on the loose. We hadn't even tested the acid on an amoeba, let alone a human cell. This is a disaster. Look, I just saw something that doesn't belong in this world, and it's out there killing my friends. Now tell me what it is. Jack Frost. I think Jack's about to make an entrance. And he's giving cold-blooded a whole new meaning. Hell has just frozen over. Blow me. Jack Frost. Look, Ma! I'm a Picasso! <laughs> Alright, kids. Welcome back. After another fine trailer for another straight-to-video release. Kind of interesting, because I'm thinking ahead to next week's episode as well. That one is also, in its own way, sort of a straight-to-video release. I kind of did another theme this year without realizing that I was doing it. Last year, remember when I did all the Christmas episodes, they were all about killer Santa Clauses. Or they had to deal with, you know, someone dressed up as Santa Claus doing the killings and whatnot. Um, this year, it seems like it's all direct-to-video releases. I've done Elves. Now I'm doing Jack Frost. I'm not going to tell you what next week's is. I'll let you find out when we get there, but... Yeah, it's weird how I do that, that I subconsciously sort of create these themes when I do these package episodes. 
I don't know. I guess it works. Eh, whatever. You want to talk about a quippy snowman now? Yeah, let's do this. Jack Frost. Jack Frost. <laughs> this movie... Okay, so Jack Frost was released November 18th, 1997, straight to video. It was directed by Michael Cooney, who was the director for both this movie, Jack Frost, and the sequel, Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman. Um, Yeah. So the thing about Michael Cooney, though, he was also the writer for a 2003 film, called Identity, and if you're familiar with that, you might not be, I don't know. It was a movie that starred John Cusack and Ray Liotta, and as a matter of fact, it was pretty well-received. Um, probably probably the most highest-budgeted movie that Michael worked on. Um, but yeah, he did that, so he did move up out of the B-movie genre, and he would eventually work his way into better films. Now, he also wrote this film, along with Jeremy Page. And Jeremy worked on both of the Jack Frost films, as well as a movie called Murder in Mind. Murder in Mind was a 1997 movie that starred Nigel Hawthorne, Mary Louise Parker, and Jimmy Smith. And the thing about Jeremy is, is he's married to Vicki Slotnick. And I bring that name up because Vicki Slotnick and Jeremy Page were the producers for this film. Uh, Vicky was also a producer for War, both the Jack Frost films. She worked on Murder in Mind with her husband, as well as a movie called Tall, Dark, and Deadly, which was a TV movie that both her and her husband produced together. So between Michael Cooney, Jeremy Page, and Vicky Slotnick, the three of them were very tight-knit and worked together on several projects. Now we move on to cinematography for this film. It was done by Dean Lent who, again, he worked on both the Jack Frost films. Um, he was also the director of photography for films like Class of 1999-2, The Substitute, uh, which was a film that starred Nick Cassavetes. And that name probably sounds familiar because I have talked about him on the podcast before when I did my review for The Wraith. Uh, Nick Cassavetes played Packard in The Wraith. Um, but he was in Class of 1999-2, The Substitute. And then... Uh, Dean also worked on a movie that I haven't seen yet, but when I found out about it, now I'm curious. It's called G-Men from Hell. Uh, it's a film that features talents like William Forsyth, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Zach Galligan. So the fact that you have Zed from Police Academy and Billy from Gremlins in the same film, I need to see this thing. I And it's weird because when I saw it listed, I have heard of it, but I never actually really paid attention to who was in it or anything. And doing my, you know, my research on this film, coming to find out that those two are in that movie. Now I want to see it. And quickly, the music for this film was done by two guys, Chris Anderson and Carl Schertz. And it's kind of funny because... They both did quite a bit of work composing music for Playboy home videos. Or that, you know, they did some of those like steamy erotica style movies and whatnot. Chris did also do music for two other horror flicks, though. He did uh, music for Day of the Dead 2, Contagium, and Creepshow 3. Creepshow 3 I haven't seen because it was recommended to me to just stay away from it. (laughs) And Day of the Dead 2... I started, I didn't finish. Um, I can honestly say I, I really didn't care for it. So, But 
That being said, you guys do know I still do love my music scores, even for movies that I may not be a big fan of. And Chris did the music for those two, so it's worth noting. Uh, all right, so let's just jump right into the starring cast. And again, much like last week, I <clears throat> starring cast as I clear my throat. Okay, so let's talk about Jack. It's all about Jack. Let's talk about Jack Frost, played by Scott McDonald. Now, Scott McDonald has been in film. He's been in TV. Uh, like some of the films he's worked on, he worked on Fire in the Sky. Obviously, the sequel to this, Jack Frost 2. Uh, he was in the movie Jarhead and The Call of the Wild. He did TV work, um, and he's had appearances on shows like Carnival, uh, Dexter, Boston Legal, NCIS, and JAG, to name a few. And he's also done a bit of theater work. However, his name might be more familiar to people who are familiar with the video game world because he's done a lot of voice work in video games. Video games like Enter the Matrix, X-Men Legends, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, L.A. Noir, and Dead Space. So Scott's kept himself busy uh, both on and off the screen. But like I said, I, when I was looking at his titles, like I think a lot of people would be more familiar with his video game resume than anything else. Although, like I said, he's had appearances on different TV shows and movies and whatnot. In terms of the movies, with the exception of the Jack Frost films, he's really had minor roles in film, though. Uh, moving on to Christopher Alport as Sam Tyler. I believe it's pronounced Tyler. Um, he's a Boston native. He was primarily a TV actor, uh, but he had been in a few movies as well, which included movies like Savage Weekend, Dead and Buried, To Live and Die in L.A., and Invaders from Mars. But he had appearances in all sorts of classic TV shows. We're talking MASH, Barnaby Jones, Knott's Landing, Cagney and Lacey, St. Elsewhere, Twilight Zone, in the Heat of the Night, Matlock, The X-Files, and Kindred, The Embraced. And, I mean, there was a ton. Like, and it kept going on. Like, I mean, we're talking ER, Mad Men, NYPD Blue, CSI Miami, etc., etc. What kind of stood out to me was that from 1979 to 1990, he was married to the one and great Morticia Adams. And you're like, uh, Angelica Houston? No, Carolyn Jones. Uh, they were married for 11 years, and then... They got a divorce. Three years later, he would remarry to Susan Elizabeth Hayden, uh, whom he stayed married to until he passed away in 2008. Uh, he died in San Bernardino, California. He was a victim to an avalanche, sadly. Uh, there was apparently a third story they were going to do in the Jack Frost saga. It was being planned. Uh, rumor had it that the movie could possibly have been called Jackzilla. Um, there was another name I saw, and I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, when Christopher passed away, they just dropped the idea because they felt that without him, they just couldn't do it. Because if you don't have Scott and Christopher working together, what's the point of a Jack Frost 3, right? So the idea was scrapped. But we originally were supposed to get a trilogy of Jack Frost films. Okay, so his son, Ryan Tyler, was played by Zach Egginton. He did a bit of acting, but it's mostly actually, actually in terms of film, he works a lot behind the scenes as a camera and electrical kind of guy. 
Um, but he did have a few small roles, like in movies like Eye for an Eye, which is with Sally Field and Keeper Sutherland. And he was credited as additional voices on the animated film The Iron Giant. And then we move on to his mother, also Sam's wife, um, Ann Tyler, who was played by Eileen Seeley. Interestingly enough, she played Martha Wayne in Batman Forever. Uh, so she uh, she played Bruce Wayne's mother, who, yes, we all know the infamous story. You know, Bruce and his family go see the Mask of Zorro and they leave the theater and they're gunned down in a back alley, which leads to Bruce eventually becoming Batman. Um, so she played Martha. She was also in the Jack Frost sequel, and she did two episodes for the TV series Freddy's Nightmares, uh, episodes that were from the second season that were known as Memory Overload and Monkey Dreams. And then we have Nathan Haig, who played Billy Metzner in, in Jack Frost. A very small role. He's the bully that basically gets killed. He gets, be- he gets beheaded by a sled that you know Jack push- pushes him in front of, and his head goes... Um, anyways, he's uh, recently, uh, in 2022, he's been uh, seen on the soap opera General Hospital as the character of Mason. Um, he had some other roles, mainly from very low-budget films, but he also had one appearance on the show Law & Order Organized Crime. Now, one of the names that gets attached to this movie, because it was her debut film, Shannon Elizabeth, yes, as Jill Metzner, and we know Shannon as Nadia in American Pie, also in American Pie 2 and American Reunion. Um, She was Buffy Gilmore in Scary Movie. She was Justice in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Uh, She was also in movies like Cursed, Night of the Demons Remake, 13 Ghosts. Here's the thing. You know, originally she wanted to be a tennis player. Uh, she had done, she had taken like dance lessons and stuff like that. But when she was younger, before before she got into acting, she wanted to be a tennis player. And then, of course, she would go on to do like modeling and stuff like that, which led to her becoming an actress. But originally, she wanted to be a tennis player. I'm kind of glad she didn't do that because some of the movies she's been in, she's been kind of the highlight. So. Let's, I'm, I'm glad she went on with the acting career instead. Okay, so uh, Jake Metzner, who is her father in this movie, was played by Jack Lindine, a TV actor who showed up in a lot of series like NYPD Blue, Six Feet Under, and Third Rock from the Sun. He also had a small role in the film Thelma and Louise. Um, however, he did pass away in 2019, but at the age of 70. I uh, left behind a nice body of work because he was in this movie. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then his wife in the film, Sally Metzner, is played by Kelly Jean Peters. Um, she was another TV actor, but she did have a role in Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. Uh, in terms of TV, she was in shows like New Heart, Tales from the Dark Side, Alienation. Here is an interesting little bit of trivia about Kelly Jean, though. She played Gloria in the pilot episode of All in the Family. Now, that role obviously went to Sally Struthers afterward, but in terms of the unaired pilot, it was uh, Kelly Jean who uh, who played the role. So it's nice to know. Okay, so I have about... Uh, uh, there's two left. The two agents, the FBI agents who come in to investigate the murders going on in Snowmonton. Um, 
Stephen Mendel as Agent Manners, probably best known for his voice work on many animated series that include Ninja Turtles and X-Mutation and several of the uh, Mobile Suit Gundam series uh, between the years of 2014 and 2017. He also voiced the character of Morgan in the anime series Berserk. And then other shows he worked on, he was uh, Hunter x Hunter, which was another anime. Uh, He was in one episode of Sons of Anarchy was in shows like Saved by the Bell, L.A. Law, Murder, She Wrote, and movies like Stepfather 3, Scanner Cop 2, and Midnight Heat. And then we have Rob LaBelle, who plays Agent Stone. He's worked uh, in both film and TV as well, but he was uh, in some bigger name uh, films, films like Wes Craven's New Nightmare, City Hall with Al Pacino, uh, the movie Fido, and he was also recently in the movie A Dog's Way Home, uh, and then on TV, many of these actors were in, in had TV appearances, and he had appearances in shows like Quantum Leap, Married with Children, uh, The X Files, NYPD Blue, Dark Angel with uh, Jessica Alba, Stargate Atlantis, and Supernatural. So that's basically our cast for this uh, film. The runtime is an hour and 29 minutes long, rated R for violence and gore, language, and some brief sexuality. Budget? Well, okay, so there's this joke, apparently, about how this movie costs the same amount as the catering bill for the movie Identity. Now, as for what the dollar value is, well, that's a good question, because... Nowhere to be found. And as for the gross profits... What I wrote in my notes was ha 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 because uh, we it straight to video right so I mean it, and I couldn't find what the rental sales were at the time so, so it's like gross profits probably very little. Um, the synopsis for this film is as notorious serial killer Jack Frost is being driven to his execution. The truck carrying the murderer encounters a bizarre accident that transforms him into a mutant snowman. Sheriff Sam Tyler, who caught the psychopath originally, has remained concerned about his return, and it seems that his fears were well-founded. Before long, bodies pile up, all killed in gruesome, wintry ways. I will say, if you are interested in checking this move out, move out, this movie out, <laughs> if you want to see this movie, you want to watch it, and you want to add it to your, you know, your list of holiday flicks you're going to watch this year, uh, both it, Jack Frost, and its sequel are available through Tubi. There is also the Riff Tracks version in which they give their own funny commentary to this film. It's worth a watch. I will say that. They are all free to stream whenever you want. Okay? So I'm just letting you know that now. As for this next segment of the show, we're calling this the Chillin' and Killing segment. Because on the VHS box, you know, it said Jack frost and then the tagline was like he's chilling and killing and i thought that was funny so it's like that's what i'm calling this segment um because i mean there's a few things to know about this movie michael cooney for example was the director for the film because he had to be and the reason why because they couldn't afford to hire one um so he did it and like i said because the budget has been a joke for most of the time like and he cracks this joke himself he's always said the film identity that he wrote for later on had a budget of 30 million 
the catering bill, whatever it was, is what it cost to make this movie. So I don't know. I'm thinking probably somewhere along the lines of twenty to thirty thousand, maybe if that. Um, and I, I I stress if that. There's also supposedly this bit of trivia that's out there, and I, I take it with a grain of salt for what it is. Supposedly, this film was initially going to be directed by Rennie Harlan. But then they claim that he was going to direct it with a $30 million budget. And I have a hard time believing that because this is very much a low-budget flick. I believe it was intended to be low-budget from the very beginning. So I can't see that it had a three, a th- three, $30 million budget to it. Um as for Rennie Harlan, you're talking big name director. I just don't see that he was probably even entertaining this thought. So, but that apparently is a rumor that goes around on the internet. Like I said, take it with a grain of salt. Um, However, when you think about the financial issues, I might explain why one of the actors that they had auditioned for the role of Jack pulled a knife during his read through <laughs> yeah, because that happened. So, I mean, you know, those behind the scenes, the crazy antics that can go on. Yeah. So they have this actor who has apparently stayed unnamed. So I don't know who it was, but <laughs> one of the actors auditioned for the role of Jack and halfway through his read through pulled a knife. Um, that's kind of scary. Uh, the film was shot in 18 days. And if you couldn't tell from watching it, it's not winter when they filmed this either. Um, according to the actor Scott McDonald, at times when they were filming this, the temperature was ranging like around 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So a lot of the snow <laughs> that you see in this movie, like, cause as if you couldn't already tell, um, was fake snow, which let's be, let's be completely honest here. If you've seen this movie, you know, it's fake. Like, I mean, even the snowmen look fake. Everything looks fake. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then to think that like a lot of these actors were wearing winter coats and heavy clothing and stuff and 70 degree weather. Um, I can't think that that was very much fun, but I don't know. I guess they figured paycheck. <laughs> and OK, so as pointed out, I saw this on the Internet and I was like, OK, well, it's I guess it's noteworthy, but it might be, don't take this in poor taste from me. All right, because it's out there. Uh, but it, some people do feel it's ironic that Christopher Alport who was in a movie about a killer snowman, uh, that his death came in the form of falling victim to an avalanche. That, you, <laughs> it's kind of harsh, but it has been pointed out. And I'm like, well, rest in peace, Chris. We love you. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to the quickie. Eight points that I took from this movie. Number one, straight to video gloriousness. That I rented strictly based on the lenticular VHS cover. Yes, this was one of those VHS box arts. Back in the day, some of them would have lenticular covers that, like, when you moved it, you know, the cover changed. And this one, they have, like, you know, you have, like, the nice looking snowman. And then when you would turn it a little bit, it was like all of a sudden it would turn into, like, this hideous looking snowman with, like, fangs and evil red eyes and stuff like that. Sadly, it doesn't actually look like that in the movie, um, so it's sort of misleading, but nonetheless, it caught my attention. This was one I rented a few times from Top Gun Video back in the late 90s, and I don't even think I read the back of the box when I rented it the first time. I saw the cover, and I knew it was a movie I had to see. It did not disappoint. <laughs> 
as bad of a movie as it is, I remember laughing my ass off when I saw this for the first time. Point number two, this movie knows what it is and it doesn't try to be anything else but what it is. You have a killer snowman walking around with no legs, I might mind. And keep in mind, no legs, okay? It's literally three circles, <laughs> three snowballs put together, you know. Um, he's got no legs, but he's walking around. He, at one point, he drives a car. I don't know how he does it, but he drives a car. Um, and he's walking around. He's quipping one-liner puns and killing people in ridiculous, wintry ways. And here's the thing. It's not a trauma film but done with the same tongue-in-cheek kind of humor. It has dumb cops, dumb kid who makes his father a snack for work, and the ingredients in the snack is antifreeze? Kid, you didn't think you'd kill your fucking dad by putting antifreeze in his... Luckily, because he made that, that's what saves the day in the end. But anyways, um, you got a girl who her boy... Her, no, her boy... Not her boyfriend, her brother. Her brother is killed, and only a few... Hours later, she decides she wants to get her jiggy on with her boyfriend. But they break into the town sheriff's house, and that's where she wants to get it on with him. Wait, what? Like, that's a thing in this movie. Like, her brother's killed. Supposedly, she's distraught. She's horrified and everything. Leaves the house a couple hours later to meet up with her boyfriend so they can break into the sheriff's house and have sex in his house. This movie is truly nuts. I mean, it doesn't care. <laughs> it just wants you to have a laugh. And trust me, it provides the chuckles and then some. So, I mean, I like the fact that this movie is not afraid to be what it is. It's batshit crazy, and we're going to ride with it. Point number three. And this is something that I kind of put a lot of thought into because I was thinking about, okay, this came out in 1997. I remember seeing this in the video store, and I rented it. This was up against some pretty big movies of the time. You got to figure, like, Jack Frost was a movie all its own at a time when Jim Carrey, Al Pacino, and Mike Myers were owning the mainstream. Like, I mean, you had Austin Powers, you had Jim Carrey doing Batman Forever, and Al Pacino was just doing movie after movie at that point. I mean, George Clooney was Batman. George fucking Clooney was doing Batman. Spawn came out. I've reviewed Spawn on this podcast. Spawn was severely underrated. And John Leguizamo and Michael Jai White for the fucking win. Hello, John Leguizamo. Loved him in Spawn. And then Violent Night. Well, not so much. Robin Williams was still alive. And he was in movies like Goodwill Hunting and Flubber. I don't know, Flubber, okay, you're like, well, that was a cheesy movie. Yes, but my point is, we still had Robin Williams. Um, Nick Cage was crushing it in Face Off with John Travolta. And then here comes Michael Cooney with his little film starring Scott McDonald as a mutant snowman. Keep in mind, this also came out three years before Marvel and 20th Century Fox would wow us with their mutants in X-Men. I mean, I... I in 1997, the mainstream was booming. I and I know I'm sort of that low-budget guy, but the mainstream was putting out, like, kick-ass movies. Perfect Blue, Event Horizon, Fifth Element, Men in Black, Titanic, The Devil's Advocate, Volcano, whether you like that movie or not. I personally love it. Uh, <laughs> Scream 2, Mimic. I mean, it, so many hard hitters were flooding the movie market in 1997. VHS renting was at a very high peak at its in its time and here was jack frost in that mix 
Obviously not as successful as many of those films, but here it was sitting on the shelf next to some of these big names and slowly building a cult following that still exists today. I mean, nowadays, the film has seen a resurgence, people now owning the movie on a remastered Blu-ray that Vinegar Syndrome put out. I have it. I would know. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the sequel has been released on Blu-ray. This movie, I mean, at a time when the mainstream was just churning out hits... And hits that are still significant today. Like, I mean, you talk about movies like Event Horizon and The Fifth Element. People love these movies still today. They're not movies that we forgot about. No, if anything, we saw them in 1997 and they came with us. Same with Jack Frost. Even though it's a low-budget piece of schlock. <laughs> so it was something that kind of hit me. I'm like, wow. Like, at the time that this movie came out, there were so many other movies, but somehow or another, this movie just managed to land its mark and stay there. Uh, point number four, no Michael Keaton. And you're like, why would that matter? Because that Jack Frost got overly hyped and was nowhere near as fun as this one. And yes, I have seen the Michael Keaton one as well. I didn't hate it. It's all right. It's a family movie. It is what it is. But it certainly isn't memorable like this one. Um... And again, I bring it up because we've got a movie right now that's out there called Violent Night. And I'm, I know I, I'm sort of pushing this and maybe I should shut up and let people enjoy it for what it is. But for me, it was overly hyped and not worth the hype. But that whatever. I mean, again, my opinion. But the thing is, is that that Michael Keaton movie, so many people hyped that one up and they made it sound like it was this great movie. It wasn't bad, but it's not this one. This one is memorable. That one was not. Point number five, the special effects. Or, well, all right. can we even call them that? I mean, okay. I mean, look at the snowman, for example. It's clearly a bodysuit made out of some felt-like material. He's got oven mitt-like hands that are slapping people around. It's kind of funny. Uh, I did love the idea of him shooting icicles out of his hand, though. That was kind of cool. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the special effects, they're, they're part of what makes this, this movie work in a bad way. Like, I mean, this movie's a parody. It knows it is. And of, of itself at that. I mean, it's, it's completely making fun of itself. We love it for it. But, I mean, the special effects are just bad. They're really bad, but I mean, there's the bathroom scene, which I'm going to get to in a minute, but <laughs> I mean, just, I don't know the shooting icicles though. I absolutely love that scene that, that, that every time it happens, I just crack up laughing. Cause I'm like that. That's just so wrong. Um, point number six, I got to move on because <laughs> the special effects I probably shouldn't have even mentioned, but they were there uh point number six the debut of shannon elizabeth and i mean this was before she would catch the eyes of many of us as nadia and american pie you know she did this film uh matter of fact this is usually that that whole point right there that this is her debut is this what a lot of people will use as a selling point when they talk about this movie you know how it was her big you know her first big break in showbiz and whatnot and people will automatically be like you know you ever see that movie jack frost with shannon elizabeth it was her first film you know the thing is is it wasn't the first time she had drawn attention to herself she had done modeling before getting into acting um 
but this movie does credit itself as being her first and you never forget your first um <laughs> but um and i don't know and the thing is is of course like i bring this up so it's going to obviously drag it's going to lead right into point number 7 because there is that one scene when you're talking about jack ross there's the one scene everyone talks about when they talk about this movie point number 7 is the rape scene and okay I say that very loosely because in most normal cases, I am not a fan of rape on screen. Um, it's something that makes me feel very dirty when I watch like, like movies like last house on the left, um, the accused, I spit on your grave, even American Mary, the rape scene in that still, it, it bothers me. I don't know. It, it, there's just something. It, sometimes I think things don't need to be seen. Whatever it is, what it is. I mean, Savage Streets. It's it's been. And I, you know, I mentioned different movies and whatnot. In this case, we have a rape scene that this might be the only rape scene ever that I actually laughed my ass off at. And the thing is, is that originally it wasn't intended to be a rape scene. Um, Shannon's character uh, of Jill, she was meant to be killed by just having her head bashed off the wall several times. She was going to be in the bathtub. Jack was Jack is the water that's in the bathtub and then he, you know, he turns himself into his frozen form and he was supposed to pick her up and smack her off the wall and her head would keep bouncing off the wall and she would die. The thing is is that the director of photography after they filmed it sort of realized what it looked like and not to mention they noticed the carrot that is supposed to be Jack's nose was missing. So they kind of went with it and said, okay, he raped her with the carrot and they added some sex puns to the movie in post to give it that hilarious continuity, obviously. And for some reason, it just works, even though, I mean, it's brutal when you think about it. It's a rape scene in a bathtub by a fucking snowman, but it just seemed to work. And then we got to talk about that snowman. Here's my point number eight, Scott McDonald. Scott McDonald as Jack Frost sells this hard. He is kicking as this character. I mean, he goes all in as Jack Frost. Tormenting Snowmanton, which I might add is hilarious because it's totally, um, well, it's a made-up town, obviously, but the idea of Edmonton, you know, and they changed, they took the ED off Edmonton and put snow in front of it and Snowmanton now. Um <laughs> Scott's performance as Jack is right up there with Eric Freeman's eyebrows in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. <laughs> Garbage day. Um, and I mean, Christopher Alport, you know, he plays his role quite straight as, you know, the sheriff, as Sam Tyler and whatnot. He's But playing off Scott's performance, when I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking to myself, it either was hilarious torture or a fun as hell experience because Scott is dialing it up to 11 and even more sometimes. And then you've got Chris that's trying to play it straight and it must've been a fucking blast, you know, behind the scenes. I, I would love to see some deleted scenes or behind the scenes shit or whatever. And I'm sure there's probably some on the Blu-ray that I haven't even touched yet. Um, and then you've got Scott's delivery of the one-liners because part of Jack's character is the whole idea of the one-liners, you know, like, and everybody always makes a, a makes reference to the one line where he's like, gosh, I only axed you for a smoke, you know, and then there's, well, it ain't fucking frosty or don't eat yellow snow. 
I mean, let's be fair. His casting, in my opinion, was perfect for this role. Uh, watching this movie, you can definitely sense that the cast must have been having a hell of a blast making the movie. Even if some of the financial struggles may have bogged it down a bit, because I know that some of the financial struggles did delay its release and whatnot. But nonetheless, Scott fucking kills it as Jack. And there's just something that's very charismatic about his character, and you can't help but fall in love with it. Um, IMDb has the movie sitting at a, a, a horrible 4.6 out of 10. Here's the interesting thing. Five is actually the most common rating and then six and then four. So it's kind of weird. I find it a little misleading because actually five or six is pretty much where it should be. And, and then you have Rotten Tomatoes that has an approval rating of <clears throat> 6%. That's based on 15 reviews. Um, Tyler Dupe of Dread Central said that the characters are two-dimensional, the dialogue is uninspired, and the production values are low. But most of that is forgivable when considering one doesn't watch a film about a mutant killer snowman expecting high art. Thank you. In one sentence, he basically nailed the whole thing. You don't expect high art when you're watching this. You're expecting a schlock fest, which is what you get. So 6% you know, approval rating seems like completely unfair to me because it's people that are approaching this trying to see Schindler's List when they should be expecting to see Elves. Uh, <laughs> the podcast zero rating for me it goes like this. This movie is a nostalgic gem from my early 20s, a VHS discovery that as the years have gone on, I've kept this one dear to my heart. I really have. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's cheesy. The special effects are amateurish and poor. The dialogue is hammy. Yes, the story is ludicrous. And we love this movie for it. Nowadays, the movie is very easily accessible. It can be found anywhere. Tubi, Plex, Blu-ray, you name it. And it's not hard to find. It was part of a three-film marathon that Joe Bob Briggs did in 2019 uh, when he did Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. This was the movie right in between those two. Um, it was the second one. And God, that was a lot of fun to watch, too. Um, this movie is an annual edition to my Christmas horror films that I consume, you know, during the season and whatnot. I watch it every year. And now that I have the Blu-ray, I mean, for the longest time I had like a digital download of it. Now I actually own the Blu-ray. So I'm very happy with that. I got to say for me personally, based on the sheer fun that I have with this movie, I know it production wise, it's shit. Dialogue is crappy. And I mean, it's a hammy movie, but I have fun with it. And based on that, based on the holiday fun I have with this movie, it's six mutant snowmen out of 10. I give it a six. I, I know it's not that good. And yeah, people will say, well, you gave violent night a five and you give this a six. Yes, because this knows what it is. Violent night. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out if that was an action movie, a Hallmark movie, or you know what I'm saying? Like I know what I get with Jack Frost and I know I'm going to laugh my ass off at the complete, insanity and absurdity that is this movie <laughs> i'm okay with that so it's a six out of ten for me and that's that i'm leaving it at that and i'm sticking with it and on that note i thank you for listening i thank you for coming back yet again i know i'm back um and this is kind of a, a new experience for me too because it's uh first time recording on a new computer with updated software so <laughs> i hope it sounds okay kids um yeah yeah i got my uh 
early Christmas gift from my mother. Um, a nice new computer with bells and whistles and everything, and I love it. Um, that being said, I didn't realize how outdated the programs were on my other computer. <laughs> so, you know, I'm downloading all my software, updating everything, and all of a sudden half the programs that I've been using for the past three years all have new interfaces and all have new functions. And I'm like, what am I doing? Oh shit. How do I do this? How do I edit that? How do I, you know, shine this up? And it was, it, it's a learning curve. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know, you don't realize how outdated you are until all of a sudden you have it all updated. And it's like, oh, um, and windows 11, not too far off from windows 10, but there were some learning curves to that. So there's been a couple days I've been swearing, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, thank you for coming back though. And thank you for listening again. And I know I talked about another straight to video release, but Hey, they're fun. Honestly, go in lighthearted. And I know people will say, well, why didn't you do that with violent night? The thing is, is I did. Um, I just, it just didn't work for me. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie guys. And I mean, if you enjoy it, absolutely enjoy it. I love what makes you happy, right? That's, that's really been the theme of this year for Podcast Zero is love what you love. And that's what I do. I talk about these movies with a lot of passion in my heart. Like, I, there's a lot of these movies I love. Um, I will say that just today in the mail, I finally got my Blu-ray for the movie The Barn 2. Uh, Barn Part 2. Um, yeah, I've been eager to see this one because you guys know I love the original uh, from 2016 and whatnot. And... Finally, my Blu-ray came in today for the sequel, so I will be checking that out tonight um, while you all will be getting this new episode, but um, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you what next week's episode is because it's a surprise for you all. It's a little holiday gift from me to you. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> it's something that I'm really excited to talk about and I'm hoping it'll be worth it so yeah anyways you know where to find the podcast on you know Spotify Apple Podcasts Google FM Player Audible uh, and most major podcast streaming apps now have this uh, now have the show uh, CastBox has been updating again now finally it, it seems like there must have been a glitch or something with it for a couple weeks but now it's it's working again so if you check it out there. Podbean is another one and whatnot. Um, on social media, uh, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and Twitter WLB podcast zero. There's also the email what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. And yeah, that's basically about it for me. Remember, don't eat the yellow snow. You need to shut the fuck up. You're not really Santa. If you were Santa, you could do magic. You want to see some magic? Here, let's watch you disappear.